So we're in a series called Preparing for Promotion. This is conclusion part three of our series. And uh, just to make sure everybody remembers this correctly, um, where does promotion not come from? The north? Okay, you can do it whatever order you want to. It's still right. Um, who decides who puts one down? Who decides who lifts one up? Good. Uh, the king's heart is in the hand of who? And he turns it which, wherever he wants to turn it to. Let me give you just a quick example for that. Um, somebody that really, 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 really just doesn't like, I don't know how anybody could not like me. But anyway, there's this guy that just really, really, really doesn't like me. And last night um, I went to a restaurant and I ordered a really, really expensive meal. And when I went to go pay, um, he, they said, somebody down there has your ticket. And I looked, and it was the guy who really, really, really doesn't like me. <laughs> so I just thought, you know what, God, the Bible says that um, when, you, when you honor God, that he will even make your enemies at peace with you. And, and, and he'll, he can turn someone's heart whichever way he wants to. So I want us to get past this idea that um, other people have to do with our destiny. And if they don't approve of us, and if they don't like us, and if they don't give us their love and affirmation, then we can't do what God's called us to do. That's a lie. That's a lie. All you need is you and God. And we've been um, on a series of David's life, and we started when he was 12 years old, and he was anointed to be king. Then he fought Goliath around the age of 15, and then he went through 15 years of just all kinds of junk to finally reach the throne. And uh, last week and the week before, we talked about uh, Saul's son who took over half of Israel. What was Saul's son's name? Anybody remember that? What was the son's name that took over half of Israel? Nope, that took over half of Israel. Ishbosheth, Ishbosheth. Remember, Saul's sons died when Saul died. Remember, Saul killed himself, his sons died, and one of the sons lived, and his name was Ishbosheth, and he took over half of Israel, and uh, David took over the other half. So even when David thought, hey, now's my time, even then it didn't happen. He only got half of Israel. So in 2 Kings chapter 5, 3 through 5, we're going to read this out of respect for David. We waited 16 weeks to hear this scripture. 16 weeks. It says in 2 Samuel 5, 3 through 5, So all the leaders of Israel came to King David at Hebron, and they anointed him, and he became king of Israel. David was 30 years old when he became king. He ruled for 40 years. He ruled in Hebron over Judah for seven and a half years, and in Jerusalem over all of Israel and Judah for 33 years. Years. They've waited 15 years for this to happen. So I want to show you a picture if we have the map of what it was like. Uh, the, the, the blue and the gold is all of Israel, except whenever it got divided, Ishbosheth took over the top half, David took over the bottom half, and after seven and a half years, David took all of it and became king of all of Israel. So today, for your notes, here's what we're going to talk about. In our conclusion, part three, <laughs> they were going to talk about fulfill your destiny. Fulfill your destiny. Um, every single one of you in this room, you're all uh, people of destiny. Uh, you didn't just show up on planet Earth. Is, you're not here by happenstance. Um, before, you and your, your, before your mom and dad ever got drunk, uh, God already, before they ever, had a, before they ever thought about having you, before your parents ever laid eyes on each other, God already knew you. And God already decided which personality he wanted to give you. He decided which passions he wanted to put inside of you. He decided what gifts, what talents. Some of you uh, are very good encouragers. Some of you are prayer warriors. Some of you are organized, uh, very organ organized people. Some of you have musical talent, communication talent. Some of you um, are good teachers. There's things that God put inside of you, and it's for an intent. He needs uh, you to fulfill your God-given destiny. He has an assignment for you. 
He has something he needs you to accomplish for the kingdom of God. And no matter who has ever hurt you, no matter what's been done to you, no matter what sexual abuse you faced, emotional, mental, maybe you were in a relationship that was very, very controlling, whatever has happened to you, whatever any person has done to you, that doesn't change the fact that God has a plan for your life. And it's a good plan. It's a good plan. No matter what you've ever done in your life, no matter who you've hurt or whatever sin you've committed, again, it does not change the fact that God has a plan for you to fulfill. He has something He needs you to do. And I don't see how anyone could ever fulfill their destiny without being part of a local church. We need each other as a family. We need iron sharpeners that we can sharpen and that can sharpen us. People we can disciple and people that can disciple us to be able to hear from God more clearly. To be able to realize what it is God wants us to do. Uh, God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 1.5, Before I even formed you, in the, before the seed ever made it on the inside of your mom, before they ever met each other, before their parents ever knew, and their grandparents, before any of this, I already knew you. I knew everything about you, Jeremiah. I knew the, the bad thoughts you would think. I knew the mistakes you would make. I knew the good things you would do. And, before, and even though I knew all of that, I still planned an appointment for you. I planned for you to be on earth at this particular time and I appointed you to be a prophet and speak on my behalf to nations. None of you are in this room by accident. With all of my heart, I believe that our very strategic God who knows exactly how far to put the sun away from the earth, I believe He planned on you being at Solid Rock in Myrtle Beach today at this time. I believe God planned all of that out. You're not here by accident. You might have thought that you were surprised because your parents, you know, you were surprised by you, but you're not a surprise to God. Not at all. Um, in Luke chapter 1, the angel of the Lord came to Elizabeth. That was Mary, the mother of Jesus' cousin. And the angel said, you're going to have a son named John, and he's going to grow up and cause people to repent. That was his destiny. John was going to do some good things in life. He's going to do some bad things in life. Nobody's perfect. But part of his role on earth was that somehow when he communicated to people, they just wanted to repent. They wanted to go to Jesus and say, I need a Savior. Just something inside him. That was his destiny. There was a woman named Deborah in the Old Testament. And Deborah was living in a city that was filled with violence and hatred. You couldn't even walk on the streets. People were being mugged and beaten. It was awful. Uh, it got so bad, people couldn't even leave their homes. And it says in Judges 5-7 that villages were abandoned, rulers ceased, warriors became sloppy with no fight left inside of them until Deborah arose, a mother in Israel. A mother? A mother. I'm sure that if we look down the list of people that were available at that time, God could have found somebody that had better leadership skills. Somebody that was more respected in that day. Women weren't that respected. Maybe a man who had already been in the army. But a mother was the one God chose. It's easy to think, well, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just the teacher. I'm just a plumber. You're not just nothing. You're a child of God with a plan and a purpose for your life. And you can't just live around here taking up our oxygen and not doing what God's called you to do. Stop wasting your life because when you get to the end of it, you're going to be very, very upset if you waste the life and the destiny and the purpose that God created you for. This mother, the Bible says, she jumped up on a rock and started singing and people came together and she led a mighty army into a victorious battle. Why? This mother realized she had a purpose. She realized there was a plan for her life. She realized that she had a destiny to fulfill. There was something God called her to do. 
And so I'm going to give you three points today for your notes when it comes to fulfilling your God-given destiny. Three points, and every one of them you'll see how they line up when we're all done. I'm going to start with the easy one and work our way to the hard one, okay? So three points today for fulfilling your God-given destiny. Um, Number one is fulfill your destiny in spite of people. In spite of people. In other words, stop blaming your parents, for what they did not give you that your friends got from their parents. Stop blaming the people that abused you. Stop blaming the people that fired you or did you wrong. Stop blaming the people that talk bad about you. Stop blaming the people that won't give you their approval or give you the love that you think you deserve. I realize that hurt. I'm not making light of it. I'm not saying it, it wasn't wrong that they did these things to you. But I am saying that your destiny is more powerful than any person that you've ever come in contact with. No person holds your destiny. And again, we think about Deborah, and you know, she was just a mom. Let me tell you, my grandmother, uh, she's prayed me through some of the most difficult times in my life. I would not be here today standing before you if she hadn't have been a prayer warrior for her grandchild. I'm sure she did a lot of good for her kids. I'm sure that uh, my, my nana, who I'm talking about, she gave financially to ministries all over the world. But part of her divine destiny was to pray for this grandson. I wouldn't be here today if she hadn't have done that. David's destiny involved being king of Israel. But let me tell you what else his destiny involved. His destiny involved learning how to forgive people that called him names like Nabal. His destiny involved facing a giant that everyone ran from. His destiny involved submitting to authority with a good attitude like King Saul. That was part of his destiny as well. And we cannot say I'm not where I'm at today because of this person here. This person walked out on me. This person did me. This person would not love me. This person would not forgive me. Whatever. None of those people hold your destiny. God holds your destiny. So you cannot blame your parents. You cannot. Don't stop looking at people to be your crutch. You can walk on your own two feet. It's great that we have friends. It's great that we have iron sharpeners. But there's a time in your life where you have to realize God is the one He wants us to depend on the most. we got to learn how to depend on God. And sometimes God will actually remove people out of your life so you'll go to Him and realize how important He is and realize that He's the keeper of your destiny. He's the keeper of your destiny. David's parents rejected him and he still became king. David's boss despised him and he still became king. His brothers threatened him and he still became king. None of those people could stop what God wanted to do in his life because David didn't let them. If you were alive in the 70s or 80s, you know the name Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz is one of the great evangelists of that time, and his salvation testimony is amazing. If, even if you just looked him up on, online for, you know, and read three or four chapters, it'd change your life. But Nicky Cruz, he was born in Puerto Rico. And um, they actually made a movie out of his life and uh, out of his salvation. It's testament called The Cross and the Switchblade. It's a famous book, an amazing book, Cross and the Switchblade. In fact, in the movie, um, Punch from um, Chips, the TV show Chips, plays Nicky Cruz. But anyway, and so Nicky grew up in Puerto Rico, and he had 18 brothers and sisters. 18. He was one of 19. His parents were into witchcraft and sorcery, and at the age of three years old, they declared over Nicky that he was the son of Satan. Now, I want, you to, um, I want you to think about what it's like to grow up in a household that is totally demonic and completely satanic. Okay? I'm going to use your imagination. I'm not, I'm not going to tell you details. But if you could think of a godly home and, and the love they give and the comfort and all, or imagine the exact opposite. Every type of abuse you could imagine, every type of sorcery you could imagine, all kinds of evil, evil stuff. And Nikki, this was the norm for him and all of his 18 brothers and sisters. 
At the age of 15 years old, Nicky Cruz moved to New York City. And he started getting involved in gangs. And he actually became the leader of the most feared gang in New York City at the time where drugs and theft and murder were part of their everyday life. That was just normal for them. One day, this brave minister was walking around the streets trying to get people to come to his youth conference that night. And he ran into Nicky and the gang, and he invited them to come out. And Nicky and them pulled out their switchblade and began to threaten this pastor. And so he took off running. Well, that night, Nicky and his gang decided to go to that youth conference with the intentions to murder somebody. They didn't want to murder in behind the scenes. They wanted to come up unstaged and murder somebody for all the thousand teenagers to see. In the middle of the sermon, this pastor, this youth minister is preaching. Nikki and the gang start walking up on the stage. And when they're standing there holding their switchblades, the preacher keeps on preaching. He just turns that way and just keeps on talking while they're standing there. He starts talking about the love and the mercy of Almighty God. Just kept talking about the mercy of the Lord, the mercy of the Lord. And something happened in Nikki's heart that no human being could have ever done. The Holy Spirit came inside of Nicky Cruz and all of a sudden he dropped his switchblade and got down on his knees and gave his heart to Jesus. Right there in front of everybody, the gang and everyone. He goes around telling his story about the cross and the switchblade all over the world, sharing what God did in his life. But here's something that Nicky learned that night. He learned this. He loved his mom. He loved his dad. But he came through his parents. He came from Almighty God. Even though his parents might have raised him, even though his mom might have given birth to him, he realized that God is the one that holds his destiny. Here's the point I'm making. Our destiny did not start with our family. It started with our God. Your destiny did not come from some person. And so if your destiny did not come from a person, that means that person can't mess you up unless you allow them to. That means that person can't steal what God has for you and from you. If your destiny did not come from some person, that means if that person doesn't love you the way they should, it should not affect your God-given destiny. That means if that person isn't there for you like you want them to be, it doesn't matter. Your destiny did not come from them. They can't destroy your purpose unless you allow them to. So fulfill your destiny in spite of people. Number two is this. Fulfill your destiny in spite of your problems. Everyone in this room has problems. And I thought about saying something like this. I thought about saying... Man, if you want to talk about problems, I got, I've had way more problems than you could imagine. But then the Holy Spirit convicted me because I know y'all because I'm your pastor. And y'all got some bad problems too. I mean, everybody in this room, on your pew, there's somebody that has just as bad problems as you, if not worse. Everybody's got problems. So why do some people f- fulfill their God-given destiny and some people don't, even though they both have problems? Because some people give up too easy. Some people get discouraged. They allow the enemy to destroy the things that God wants to do in their life. They allow problems. The problems is their excuse. Well, here's why I'm not where I should be. Here's why I'm not happy. Here's why I'm not successful. Here's what, and they blame it on a circumstance or a negative problem they faced in life. So when it comes to fulfilling our destiny and we think about our problems, here's what we think. We think this. We think, man, the years that were wasted dealing with that issue. The years, the time I spent being sick, the time I wasted with that person, I knew I should have been in a relationship with them. The money that I wasted, man, I was so greedy. I had to have, if I, I could have used that money to build the kingdom of God. All this time and energy down the drain. That's what we think about when we think about our problems. So I want to read you a very, very important scripture in Joel 2.25. And God says, I will pay you back for the years. Everybody say years. Say years. 
that have been stolen and make up for every loss. That word years implies time. Years like a certain amount of minutes, a certain amount of hours, a certain amount of days. Here's what God's saying. I want to pay you back for the time that's been stolen from the problems you've had to face whenever you put your faith in me. I want to pay you back the time and make it up to you. The things that were taken from you, you thought you wasted time here. You thought you wasted your life here. And this, these years you were not saved. And these years you were saved and doing the wrong thing. And God says, I actually can make up for those losses. I can actually pay you back for these things. Um, there's a true story about this guy who uh, ran a gas station, a small gas station down a, like a, in, a, in a country town. And he used to sell his uh, fried chicken and it became so popular he opened up a restaurant across the street. Well, um, business was good. He saved up for years before he did this. He planned very strategically, and he got everything ready and spent the money and got the loan, and business was great until all of a sudden they put a freeway in, and it caused people to bypass that little town so they wouldn't come to his gas station and his restaurant. And in one year, he lost everything, everything. I don't mean he just lost. I mean, he lost it all. He lost his house, he mortgage. He lost everything. In one year, everything was gone. All these years and years and years of hard work, of saving up, of getting the right money, and now everything's down the drain. Now, this is the point when a lot of Christians give up on God. They give up on God because they say, well, this problem is the reason I stayed home from church. This problem is the reason I kept staying home from church. This problem is the reason that I don't give or serve. This problem is the reason that I'm not happy and I'm not where I should be. And here's what they're saying. They're actually saying this. My problem is bigger than my God. I know God created the universe. I know He, you know, Jesus and the cross. And I know all this. But you know what? My problem, it's got Him so, con- you know, confused. God did not foresee this coming. And because of this problem, I'm not going to be able to do what God's called me to do. And this guy, he decided, instead of giving up, he decided to put that chicken fryer that he had in the back of his truck. And he started driving from town to town to town to town to try to sell his chicken with 11 herbs and spices to any restaurant that would possibly buy it. At the age of 66 years old, Colonel Sanders started his very first KFC. Do you know that the first year of Kentucky Fried Chicken made up for 45 years of loss before? One year made up for 45 years. See, some of y'all aren't even 66 yet. Y'all's 67th year could be better than the 45 years you had before. Some of y'all are 66. Well, then you know what I'm saying. If you're 70, whatever. Here's the point. Is that God, God can make it. You say, man, if I had to do it over again, I would serve more and I'd give more and I'd, I'd, I'd encourage my children. And uh, Why don't you start today? Why don't you start? Let God take today. Today could be the first days of the best days of the rest of your entire life. Don't let a problem keep you from doing what God's called you to do. He can pay you back. Our life problems don't prevent us from our destiny. It's actually how we respond to those life problems. You say, well, if God has a good plan for my life, how come all these bad things keep happening to me? Okay, one reason is this. We have an enemy His name is Lucifer, Satan, the devil, whatever you want to call him. Your in-laws, whatever you want to call him. I don't know, but anyway, just kidding. We have an enemy in the minute. Now see, God knew you before you were born. After you were born, the minute you started breathing oxygen, Satan began to target you. In fact, let me tell you what a schemer the Bible says he is. Satan actually studied your bloodline. He wanted to look and see which particular demons he could send your way and tempt you with. 
Uh, Satan's no dummy. Now, we know that there are twice as many angels as there are demons, which tells me there is actually a certain amount. They're not being created more. There's a certain amount of demons. And so Satan decides, here's the demons I'm going to send to this person. Here's the, I'm going to wait till they're this age, when they're this vulnerable, when they're this insecure, and I'm going to send this particular demon to try to get them off course. And so he's attacking you. And listen, if that doesn't work, then he'll, 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 he'll use other people to come and attack you. And if that doesn't work, he'll get you to, to deny Jesus, not put your faith in God and to stop coming to church. He'll do whatever he can to prevent you from fulfilling your destiny. But I have very, very good news for you. Here's the good news. The Bible actually says that weapons will be formed against you. Isn't that good news? Wait a minute. I might not have said that right. Weapons will be formed against you. They will. God guarantees that weapons will, that problems will come. That no matter how good of a person you are, how much you come to church, problems will come into your life. God promised us that. But in Isaiah 54, 17, he said, no weapon formed against you is going to prosper. In fact, it goes on to say, this is the heritage for God's Children. In other words, because we're children of God, if you will stay in that relationship, because God will never walk out on you, if you'll stay in that relationship, the problems will form, but they won't prosper in your life. So number one, fulfill your destiny in spite of people. Number two, fulfill your destiny in spite of your problems. And here's the toughest one. Number three, fulfill your destiny in spite of your past. If the demons attacking you don't work, if the people hurting you don't work, if the problems don't work, here's Satan's final attack, man. He'll attack you based on everything you've done wrong in your life. It's not in my notes, but just if you're taking notes, I'll tell you this. And I've, I preached it a hundred times, but it's always a good thing to, to teach. Condemnation versus conviction. Conviction, you know, is from the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is from the devil. How do you know the difference? Condemnation is always past tense. You shouldn't have done this. I can't believe you did that. Can you believe you made that mistake? Can you believe you had that thought? You did that person wrong. Conviction from the Holy Spirit is always forward focus. Next time, how are you going to handle it? Next time, what are you going to do? Next time, you're going to pray more. Next time, you're going to repent quicker. How are you going to do it next? God's always future focused. Satan's always past tense. God called Moses to deliver the Israelites out of slavery, out of bondage, into, into the promised land. Moses made a mistake. Now listen, Moses made his mistake. He sinned not before he got saved, not before God called him, not before he knew God had a destiny for him. After all of that, Satan, after all of that, Moses makes his mistake. It says in, Gen in Exodus 2.12, Moses looked to see if anybody was looking. Then he killed an Egyptian and he buried his body in the sand. Moses was so guilt-stricken, he ran and hid in the wilderness. For your notes, it's a place called Aner. And so he was hiding in Aner. He knew nobody would find him there. He hid. It's not called Aner. It just don't, don't go telling people from another church. Oh, here's my notes from Sunday. He went and hid. And so let me tell you, I can picture Moses for 40 years hiding. I can picture around dinner time every few months, the kids would say, Daddy, tell us that story. Moses said, you mean the time where God spoke to me? Yeah, tell us. Man, God called me to do great things. He gave me a plan. He said he wanted me to do this and this for him. And he had a purpose for my life. And I was so excited. But you know the story. I made a mistake. And so I can't do what God called me to do. You know, whenever you sin, it's so funny. I, there are so many ignorant Christians that are such Pharisees. Let me just explain something to you. You only have two options when you sin. There's only two options. Only two options, okay? You decide which one's the wiser of the two, which one's the godlier. The first option is you stop serving God. 
The first option is you made a mistake, and so you stop using your gifts and talents. You stop doing what God's called you to do. You stop. I mean, that's one option. That's an option. You can do that. Some Christians that are Pharisee think that's the right thing to do. A Pharisee is somebody that reads the Bible and prays, but they have no relationship with God. They say the right thing sometimes, and they read the Bible, but they have no relationship. The only other option is this. You repent, and you serve God even more. Because the Bible says the more you sin and the deeper level of your sin, it says the more love and mercy you get to receive. See, I feel sorry for some of y'all that are like little angels around here that the worst thing you ever did was speed five miles over the speed limit. I feel sorry for y'all because y'all haven't received the level of love and mercy that some of us heathens have received in our life. The Bible says the more sin, the more love and mercy you get. It's like a gift. It's like a, it's like a present from God. Hey, man, the worse you get, the more love you get to receive from me to make up for that. So only two options. One, you stop serving, and the other one, you serve more. Which one do you think God wants? In Exodus 3.10, God called out to Moses 40 years later, and he said, I am the Lord your God. I have chosen you to deliver my people. I'm sure Moses thought, did I hear that right? Is this deja vu? God, is that you? Yes, Moses, it's me. I've called you. But God, I did this and this. That didn't change the plan I had for your life. Moses went out and did just what God, the call of God was still there. He, he, God didn't find someone younger. He didn't find someone that had not committed murder. He, and listen, there are consequences to sin. In the New Testament, it says the more you repent for this or the quicker you repent, God can actually lessen your consequences. There's consequences for breaking the law, too. And there's different, and, and depending on the position you're in in life, there are certain requirements for that position. There are. I mean, for the principal of a school or a police officer or a teacher. There's different, there's different qualifications that need to be met, yes. But no sin that you've repented of can ever steal the destiny God has for you. And here's why. The most important scripture of today's entire sermon is Romans eleven twenty nine. 29. It does not get any more important than this. It says the calling of God is irrevocable. That means as long as you're breathing, God's plan for your life is still there. It is irrevocable. It can't, it's not like a driver's license or a Sam's card or a passport or what else can be revoked driver's license i thought i said that i don't say that maybe i did anyway it can't be revoked it can't be revoked it can't be revoked no matter what you, it can't be revoked it's always there why would god give you something that's irrevocable if there's something that you could do that would cause it to be revoked that doesn't seem to make sense it's irrevocable um whenever we went to uh, on our honeymoon a while back, we went to um, Biltmore in North Carolina. The Biltmore is incredibly inspiring. I love, love, love the Biltmore. I decided to take one of my teenagers with us on our honeymoon and his two friends. So there were three boys in the back seat, and me and Mike is in the front seat. And we're headed to Biltmore, and we're about, about an hour away, 30 minutes away. All of a sudden, the GPS, this ice storm had hit. It was 10 o'clock at night. We were getting close to our destination. I had it programmed in the GPS. Here's the way we're going to go. And all of a sudden it said there's an 11-car pileup on the road up ahead. 11-car pileup. 11-car. And they said that that five-minute road, there was a three-and-a-half-hour delay. You'd be stuck in traffic. So me being the man of courage that I am, <clears throat> in the middle of the ice storm, I kind of had the thought, I'm going to try to go off the path. I can look at that GPS. Even though it doesn't tell me to, I think there's some roads that I can find that can kind of go around this section that we're supposed to be in. And at first, I, I just barely mentioned it, and Micah was like, eh. And then the three boys were like, do it, do it, do it, do it. So, of course, I had to do it. And so we get off the road, and 
We were on this road. It was so dark. I'm telling you, Jason was about to jump out the woods and kill us, and Freddy Krueger was there. It was, there wasn't a light anywhere, and I didn't want to look like a sissy on my wedding night, so I was just you know, playing it tough. We were going five miles an hour because the car kept sliding on the ice, and there's ditches on the left and right, and I just knew, like, oh, my goodness, this is going to ruin everything. Here's what's so interesting. When I turned off the correct path of the GPS, and I did what it did not tell me to do, and I went in the other direction, not once did that GPS begin to yell at me and say, you stupid idiot, I can't believe you knew exactly what I wanted you to do. You've gotten off the course, you're going in the wrong direction, this is not safe, this is not what you should be doing, not once. In fact, the very moment I turned on the wrong road, just like that, the GPS began to recalculate to try to get me back on the right path, still with the same destination at the very end of the map. When we take wrong turns, God immediately begins to reroute us to another plan A. Now see, some Christians say, well, you messed up plan A, there's a plan B. God has a plan C. Some of y'all be on plan X by now to the third power. That implies that we can do something that will mess up God's plan, this creator of the universe, to the point where we have to settle for less than God's best. Let me tell you, God always has another plan A. He always has another way to get you where He wants you to go. And as long as there's still breath in your body, that plan is irrevocable and it is available to you. Let me show you an instance where this happened in the Bible. I'm about to close. In the book of Jonah, God told Jonah He wanted him to go to Nineveh. Jonah had it in his GPS. He saw the location, exactly where God wanted him to go. And in Jonah 1.3, Jonah went in the opposite direction. And we've all done this. We've all done the exact... That's like God telling you to give somebody $5 and instead you steal $5 out of their pocketbook on the way out to church. They did the exact opposite. Exact opposite. Um, Jonah had to face the consequences of doing the opposite of what God told him to do. And he smelled like sushi, I'm sure, for months and months and months. But in Jonah 3.1, it says, The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. He said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. I got you an Uber, the whale swallowed you. This is what I want you to get. Jonah ended up right back where he was supposed to. But I said all that to kind of provoke a thought in you, okay? This is the, I need you to use your brain for the last three minutes of this and hear this out. In Psalms 139.16, it says, Before I was born, God had written everything in his book that we would do. Here's what I believe happened. Just, I'm just provoking a thought to you. Just provoking a thought. What if Jonah getting swallowed by the whale was God's plan A the entire time? In other words, how many millions and millions and millions of people and children have been blessed and faith-filled by the story of Jonah and the whale? I wonder if when God started creating Jonah and he wrote in his book everything I'm going to do, he said, hey, angels, he said, at this time I need to find somebody who will reject me, somebody who will do the opposite of what I tell them to do, someone that will go turn their back on me and go in the wrong direction. And the angels say, God, why would you want that? And God said, because I got an appointment for a whale to swallow this guy. And people are going to talk about this millions and millions of times over the next several thousand years. It's going to be a great story. Who can I find that will reject what I want him to do? And he finds Jonah, and Jonah does the opposite and God swallows him and the whale spits him on dry land. Jonah says, okay, I'll do what you're asking me to do. And this story has lived on for 2,000, 3,000 years. What if that was God's plan A the entire time? Just thinking. Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will not stop until it's perfectly complete. Not halfway complete, 
not three-fourths complete. If we have to make excuses, it's not perfectly complete. Real quick about Jonah. This guy, this guy was reading his Bible on the plane, you know, going to San Francisco, and the guy next to him was an atheist. And uh, the atheist looked at the Christian guy and said, you don't believe in all that stuff in the Bible, do you? And the guy reading his Bible said, of course I do. It's in the Bible. And the atheist said, well, what about that guy that got swallowed by the whale, you know, for, for three days? He said, you mean Jonah? He said, yeah, how could a guy survive in a whale for three days? And the Christian guy thought about it and said, you know what? I don't know, but when I get to heaven, I'll ask him. The atheist said, well, what if he's not in heaven? And the Christian guy said, well, you'll have to ask him. <laughs> Last scripture. That was worth coming out to church today. Jeremiah 5.22. God said, I've, I love taking these scriptures that I have no idea what they're talking about. I have no idea what's going on in this scripture at all. I just found it and I like it. And I'll tell you what I think. Jeremiah 5.22. God said, I put an eternal decree in every grain of sand to be the boundary of the ocean. The sea may roar, yet it will not pass the barrier that I have ordained for it. When I read this, again, I have no idea what it means in a theological sense, but here's what I think. I think God said that every grain of sand has a destiny. Its destiny is to keep this huge ocean in its boundary. The ocean may roar, the waves may come, but it will always go back to where it's supposed to be. Now, when I thought about this, I thought, what about those huge waves? I mean, the waves just, they go so far past the boundary of the sand. When that happens, I don't think that the sand gets all worried and upset and says, you know what, this problem of this wave has ruined everything God had planned. I don't think the sand thinks, man, those people keep stepping on us. We can't do our job. I don't think the sand says, you know, in the past there's been some waves that have come by and I don't know what's happened. I think that whenever these huge waves come, that those sand grains all grab hands with one another like a huge choir they begin to sing in four-part harmony and say, Ocean, you must go back. And the ocean always goes back. Not because the sand is bigger. Not because the sand's more powerful. Not because it hasn't experienced problems. But because God put a decree on the inside of every piece of sand. The power that God's put inside of me and you is the greatest power this universe has ever seen. There should be no reason that you are not fulfilling the plan that God has for your life.